Eagles Entertainment. The journey of the draft is driven by AAA. AAA roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 25th pick in the NFL draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we've got some SEC action here this weekend with college football kicking into another gear. Cannot wait to dig into some of these games this weekend, and we will do just that at the top of the show here on Saturday Scouting. Ben Fennell and I are going to go through some matchups to watch. We're going to talk about traits that matter to us as well at the offensive tackle position in our Under the Hood segment. After that, Mr. Relevant this week is going to be Austin Ward, who covers Ohio State football for the Letterman. We're going to talk all about Justin Fields, the Buckeyes football team, as they get ready for their return to play, which is going to be great to see uh, with the college football season really kind of, again, kicking into another gear. You know, we got Big Ten football coming up here in just a few weeks, so we'll talk all about Ohio State there with Austin Ward. After that, we'll wrap the show up with pick six. Ross Tucker, back in the fold. We're going to keep score uh, for another round of uh, competition here this week. We'll see how Ross and I fared last week. We'll preview some of the games to watch here this weekend. Before we get into the start of the show, just to reminder just go on to apple Podcasts or stitcher leave us a rating leave us a comment if you've got a question or a mock draft leave it on there we will answer it right on next week's show next monday we will when we record i will make sure we get it into the show so if you like what you hear if you're enjoying these podcasts the best way to throw us your support is going to apple Podcasts. leave us that rating leave us that comment all right let's get into it now it's time for saturday scouting it's time for saturday scouting Well, back for another edition of Saturday Scouting, our friend Ben Fennel. Ben, uh, let's jump right in, man. Draft buzz. Um, I guess some of the big newsworthy bites going into this weekend, unfortunately, just a, a few games, another handful of games that are uh, postponed due to concerns with COVID-19. Um, we got North Texas versus Houston. Houston, dude, they've had like five or six games already postponed because of uh, because of COVID-19. South Florida, uh, they are not playing against FAU this weekend because they played against Notre Dame last week. Notre Dame has had a few a few positive cases, and so their game against Wake Forest, which was going to be one of the highlight matchups of the weekend, uh, that game has been postponed. They're hoping, I think, uh, to play that game next week. So uh, a couple matchups taken off our, our plate here, but that being said, we do have uh, some good matchups. And, Ben, I will go to you first. Let's pick a couple of one-on-one matchups that we are excited this weekend um, or are excited about this weekend with some, uh, you know, an eye towards the NFL draft. What's the first one you want to kind of profile here? Well, we're sticking all SEC all the time. It's the return of SEC play in September, nonetheless, and we're getting a lot of conference matchups, which is really fun. Uh, so we're going to kick things off. Let's go Alabama against Missouri. I want to see Dylan Moses' return at linebacker coming off the ACL and seeing how he matches up against this really unique combo one-two punch at Missouri, Larry Roundtree and Tyler Beatty, both kind of a one-two punch, kind of a thunder and lightning group. They're really going to work Beatty into the pass game, really athletic player. I just want to see how Moses looks coming off the injury and maybe having to mirror a, uh, you know, a speedy scat back. Dude, I, I love this. Okay, so um, a couple things. Number one, Larry Roundtree, he actually kind of reminds me of a former Alabama running back. I don't think – I really I really liked this player a lot coming out. He hasn't done much in the league yet. Uh, that's Damian Harris. Roundtree kind of reminds me of Harris, except I don't think he's quite as talented, but he's just a well-rounded player. I feel like, you know, we had that conversation about backup running backs last week, and I feel like he can be that three-down backup that just checks 
a lot of boxes. He can do a little bit of everything. I liked his patience. Uh, pass protection, he's fine. He's got some shake to him. He's just not like a dynamic player. Like Beatty. Beatty, to me, is like more, you know, as another kind of backup running back, but he's more of the, hey, he's 5'9", 200 pounds. He's a 4'4 weapon. Yeah, yes. he's a third down returner type of thing. Roundtree, kind of interesting. The only SEC running back coming into the season with 500-plus carries. Yep. One of yep. the rare, experienced, solid players in the SEC. They love to turn over those running back positions, uh, obviously getting a lot of young guys in there, but one of the more veteran presence uh, in the SEC. And then just getting, you know, like you said, just getting a chance to see Dylan Moses again, a guy that, uh, you know, watching, you know, to me, well, last time we saw him on the field, if we're, you know, putting projecting him for 2021 draft, he's one of the blue chip players in this class in terms of being a physical specimen, um, you know, what he can do in the past game. He can play downhill. He's a great athlete. You know, he was a little bit nosy at times, kind of, you know, was a, a little bit, you know, uh, undisciplined in terms of his gap responsibility. But he's a really impressive player and a versatile player, too, because not only can he do things in pass coverage, but was an outside linebacker in their 3-4 early. That's how he first got on the field. So he's got some pass rush value as well, Ben. Well, Fran, take us to the other side of the ball because it's another uh, interesting linebacker-running back matchup. Don't go make a sandwich when the field flips. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what, to me, like that was the one I wanted to highlight was Alabama running back Najee Harris against Missouri linebacker Nick Bolton. Now, let's go to Najee Harris first. I like Najee Harris. You know, he, he's a physical runner. He's not going to be for everybody, and especially when you're talking about, oh, what, what can he do is in terms of being like a matchup nightmare and things like that. I think a lot of people will say, oh, he, he's Derrick Henry, right? He's 6'2", he's 230. Dude, he, he has some great hands. Like, remember that catch he made against LSU last year on that vertical route uh, at the pylon? Like, he's got some value in the pass game. He's just not a dynamic athlete. I mean, that, that's where he's not. He's not that kind of a guy. But I'll tell you what, his contact balance is outstanding. You mentioned he had, um, uh, what do you call it? He, you know, he didn't have 500 carries last year like the like Roundtree did, but he only fumbled one time in 424 touches last year. So while he's shy of that 500 uh, touch mark, 424 touches last year, not bad. He kind of reminded me a little bit, Ben, of James Conner uh, when he was coming out of pit, and, and Conner's car got a nice roll when healthy for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I do like Najee Harris. Uh, you know, and watching him in this game against Nick Bolton, I just said this with Dylan Moses. I think Nick Bolton could be a blue chip player in this class, man. I think he, he kind of reminds me of a Devin Bush style of player, six, six foot, 235 pounds. He is a spark plug in the middle of that Missouri defense, violent hitter downfield. One of the most violent players in the front seven that I've studied so far. He could play against tight ends uh, in the run game, in the pass game. You could see him flexed out against running backs and man-to-man coverage, great blitzer, just a, a really fun player to study. So, uh, yeah, the running back linebacker matchups in this game, Alabama and Missouri. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch, man. Yeah, Najee Harris is a guy I've compared to Latavius Murray, who's been a really okay, productive I can see pro, that. Yep. similar tall, upright style. But the reason I think Najee Harris has such a high floor is because of a couple of these pillars he checks off. Doesn't fumble the ball. Yep. Good hands. Excellent in pass pro. Stays square. Latch is a good thudder in pass protection. Doesn't submarine block. And he's really good in the screen game as well. Good in the open field kind of subtle uh, ability in the pass game. So all those kind of things there make me think he's a high floor and kind of a safe pick. He may be a late day two player, maybe even an early day three, but he's a guy that I think is going to be really hard to kick out of your running back three or four in your room. I love that. Uh, who's your uh, second matchup you want to watch here? 
Well, I didn't mean to stick with another linebacker running back matchup, but we're uh-huh. going to go with two guys that I think are going to have some different feel in 2020. We got Jabril Cox down there at LSU, that speedy, athletic, uh, kind of halfway player, really good in the pass game and coverage. And I want to see how Mississippi State works in Kylan Hill in the pass game. More of a traditional runner between the tackle. Now with Mike Leach's offense, they love to get the running backs involved in the pass game. I want to see if maybe those two styles have a meeting of minds, maybe out there in the alley or they have to cover each other uh, one-on-one on third down. Cox was a guy that was motioned out a lot at North Dakota State, had to cover in the pass game quite a bit, more of an athletic linebacker. I want to see if Mike Leach maybe tries to isolate him on Kylan Hill on some third downs. And if Kylan Hill has any value in the pass game, to maybe show NFL scouts. Yeah, I mean, he's got the ability, I think. He just hasn't been always put in the in the situation. He's going to be put in the situation to catch some passes uh, in this offense. I agree. And, and two, to, to kind of add on to that, how about Jacoby Stevens and seeing him in space against the Kylan Hill potentially uh, as well? You know, obviously it's a new defensive scheme down there uh, in LSU uh, you know, with Bo Pelini stepping in as the defensive coordinator for D- for Dave Aranda. Uh, Stevens is a guy, you, you highlighted him in our SEC preview. I watched him afterwards and – Dude, I like him as a linebacker convert, man. Like, I, I wrote down Mark Barron when watching him. And That's a great comp, by the way. Great dude, comp. Dude, I I really, really like Stevens. He is a powerful striker. I mean, he he essentially played spent most of his time down in the box. You could see him play center field, and he could do some things. And I like that versatility, but – I'll tell you what, man, like I, I liked the, the idea of him making that transition to the linebacker spot, and that's not a knock. I, I think really, really highly of Jacoby Stevens. Um, yeah, I, I really like that matchup. I'm going to go second one here, and I'm going to go to the ACC. And historically, one of my favorite games to watch on a yearly basis had been Florida State versus Miami, and both teams have been you know down a little bit over the last few years. Um, Dude, I, I kind of like this with the way that we're kind of seeing Brevin Jordan, all right, who we've talked about each of the last two Mondays. He got my game ball this week. He got your game ball last week. Going up against Florida State and Hamza Nazardine, the talented safety for the Seminoles. Now, he missed the first game of the year against Georgia Tech because of that knee injury that cost him the back end of 2019. So it looks like he is poised to make his debut this week against Miami. Dude, he is going to be a huge huge part of trying to keep Brevin Jordan out of the end zone. That is a, a matchup I'm really excited about. I'm excited about both players. I'm really high on Nazardine. He's one of my favorite safeties in this class, if not my favorite safety in this class. Both guys, really unique athletes for the position. Uh, what are your thoughts on that matchup? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Brevin Jordan, kind of a pedestrian numbers last year in that matchup against Florida State, only six catches for, uh, excuse me, 48 yards. So I want to see if maybe they can get him isolated in space a little bit more, or some downfield shot plays in Rhett, La- in, excuse me, in Rhett Lashley's new offense at Miami. Yeah, yeah no question. So uh, there'll be the matchups that we're, bo- we're both most excited to see, um, you know, coming up this week. And obviously there, there were a so couple many- that were tough to pick in the SEC. I want to see how Kyle Trask looks against that old Miss defense or very subtly University of Kentucky has a really good offensive line. Hmm. There's about three NFL prospects on that D-line going against, say, a, a big Auburn defensive line, a big Cat Bryant, and a couple other NFL prospects. So, SEC plays back. A lot of players to watch. 
Yeah, I'm like kind of buzzing through, and there there are a bunch of matchups we could have talked. It was about. tough to pick, Fran. It was tough yeah. to, to focus on too. There, uh, I'm just excited to have like semi full slate. You know, this weekend we get the we get the SEC back. It's been great to have the ACC and the Big Twelve. We got some good Big Twelve matchups this week. Texas, Texas Tech uh, certainly is is one to follow. Um, no, this is this is going to be great. I'm really looking forward uh, to some of the things. Yeah, Louisville we're pick, you know, rank yep. first rank there as well. So uh, you know, I feel like we've been talking about the ACC so much lately. I know that's the thing is that we've been talking about them so often. And uh, we'll be picking some of these games later in the show uh, with Ross Tucker. So make sure you stay tuned uh, for our pick six segment at the very end of the show. All right, let's go to a mock, mock draft roundup here. We're going to pick a mock draft every single week. Look at who they have the Eagles selecting, but then also just kind of look at who else is going in that area. So we're going to go to CBS Sports. Ryan Wilson has the Eagles picking at 13th overall in his most recent mock draft. The five going before the Eagles. Here they go. Number eight, Detroit Lions taking Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields, so the successor to Matthew Stafford there in Detroit. Number nine overall, the Denver Broncos selecting pass rusher Greg Rousseau out of Miami. Number 10, the Miami Dolphins taking offensive guard Wyatt Davis from Ohio State. Number 11, we just talked about this guy, Alabama linebacker Dylan Moses going to the Atlanta Falcons. Number 12 overall, the Minnesota Vikings taking the hometown kid, quarterback Trey Lance from North Dakota State. Uh, ben, what's your uh, feeling on those five picks there? Well, fun picks there. I'd love to see uh, Trey Lance there uh, stay in the uh, central north uh, in the country yeah. there and stay in the Minnesota Vikings. I feel like they would love that pick and the fan base was, would really rally around that. Obviously, Kirk Cousins, big money. He's kind of the incumbent starter. Would like somebody to create a little bit more outside of structure. And I think Trey Lance can do that with his athleticism. And how about Justin Fields? being the uh, successor to Matt Stafford in Detroit, what does that mean? Does he do a kind of an apprentice year behind him or two? Or maybe Matt Stafford goes and takes a uh, late-in-the-career flyer with a team like the Colts or maybe uh, you know another team that's uh, ready to roll and make a run. I'd love to see Matt Stafford in a new home. Yeah, and to me, like you know, Trey Lance would be a really interesting fit in that Minnesota offense. If if the offense stayed the same, uh, you know, you're looking at a guy that has that ability to roll out and you know, to run first offense. I mean, that's what he ran last year in North Dakota State. Like plug and play uh, in terms of, you know, oh yeah, he, this is, it's not going to be much of an adjustment for him in terms of, uh, you know, making the transition to that scheme. Uh, for me, it was just Wyatt Davis going 10. Um, you you got to be an elite, elite prospect, I think, at the guard spot to go 10 overall. I, I think a lot of people do view Davis that way. Um, so it'll be interesting to see just kind of how he's perceived over the next few months, if that kind of improves here moving forward. We're going to talk about Davis a little bit in the very next segment here with Austin Ward. I um, would love the commitment that the Dolphins would be showing to the offensive line, particularly last year getting Austin Jackson, Solomon Kinley, Robert Hunt, hmm. to then take the 10th overall pick and go with another trench player. Yep. I think that's the foundation of teams. You know we both kind of agree with that. You got Tua, you have some weapons, but if you don't have that motor oil on the O-line or the D-line or in the trenches – it doesn't matter how sexy those perimeter players are. So you look at the five after the Eagles. Again, the Eagles picking a 13. 14th overall, the L.A. Chargers taking wide receiver Jalen Waddell, so getting a weapon there for Justin Herbert. The 15, at 15th overall, the Las Vegas Raiders taking pass rusher Quiddy Pay. The Browns selecting Hamza Nazardine, the safety we just talked about from Florida State. Uh, 17th overall, the Chicago Bears taking Alabama wideout Devontae Smith. And then 18th overall, the Colts taking TCU safety, Trevon Morig. Uh, ben, give, give us your takeaway here on those five picks. Well, I love the pick for the Chargers, adding a speedy big play threat, you know, for Justin Herbert, a pair of Keenan Allen, some of those other weapons like Mike Williams. That Chargers offense has to be ready to compete in the division. The Broncos, comp- that, that would complement those guys well, right? You, no have the, you have the crafty route runner. you got the big guy in Williams. How about uh, the speedy, the, the speedster in Waddle? 
Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I just feel like the Raiders going to get rugs last year. We know the Chiefs offense, the Broncos, K.J. Hamler, Jerry Judy, they went and got mm. speed last year. And AFC West, you better be ready to light up the scoreboard. So I love the Chargers adding another weapon on the outside for the young Herbert. That's a good point. I like that. Uh, the Raiders taking a pass rusher around well, would surprise me a little bit. Obviously, we know, uh, you know, they took Cleveland Farrell in the top five a year ago. They took uh, Max Crosby in the same draft, and he was a hit on day three. Um, so they feel, you know, those are the two starters there. I believe they've got some other vets, you know, younger vets there as well. So taking another pass rusher uh, in the top 15, no less, uh, would be a little bit surprising to me uh, overall. Let's go now to the Eagles selection. 13th overall. They take Northwestern offensive lineman Rayshon Slater. We talked about him in our Big Ten preview. I know Dane is a big fan of his. Uh, you and I have both talked about him in the past as well. Here is the blurb uh, from Ryan Wilson here. Slater was a dominant left tackle last season, played right tackle the two seasons before that. Meanwhile, the Eagles have been decimated by injuries. 2019 first-rounder Andre Diller should be fully healthy to begin the 2021 campaign. What are your thoughts there, Ben, uh, on Rayshon Slater at 13th overall? What do you think of the value there? I love the pick. Experienced player, over 2,700 career snaps, 37 starts, experience on the left side, right side. Last year's tape was impressive. No sacks allowed, one QB hit, only five pressures. Go right to that Ohio State tape and how he handled, you know, second overall pick Chase Young, which everybody points to now as like his, uh, you know, kind of swan song tape to go put on. But I really think he may be a guard conversion, though, Fran. I think so, too. My comp at the moment is Joel Petonio. Coming out of Nevada, very mm. similar height, uh, weight, length, 6'4", about 3'10", aggressive, great lateral movement in the in the zone game, really good power and double teams in the uh, the gap and kind of uh, power schemes. Struggled a little bit with some inside moves uh, here and there. I'm just not sure he's going to have the length to hang out on the outside there, but he's pro- he's proven in the Big Ten. You know, he could handle NFL caliber edge rushers. It probably let him feast or famine out there first. But having a little tackle guard flexibility is okay. Um, whether he reminds me a little bit of Braden Smith as well, coming out mm. of Auburn uh, two years ago, and has really ended up being a nice player for the Colts. So I think having a guy that can maybe go back and forth, guard, tackle, uh, isn't the worst thing in the world. Yeah, yeah, and we know the Eagles value versatility along the offensive line. I, I said hit them, you know, my comp for him before was Lakin Tomlinson, a former first round pick mm-hmm. who's gonna be a starter or who is a starter for the San Francisco 49ers on the left side. So um yeah, I, I, to me, like I, I would be a little bit shocked about him in the top fifteen, just not my own personal evaluation. Uh, I know Dane views him as like kind of like a fringe first rounder as well. So um, but no, he, he's a, a rock solid player and has been doing it for a long time. And he came on campus and started as a true freshman. So um, you know, Rayshon Slater, a very intriguing player. Uh, for sure, a very experienced guy. And um, looking to be one of the higher picks in the Pat Fitzgerald era. He would be the first the first first round pick for Pat Fitzgerald. Yeah, I'm not sure if Patty Fisher is going to have enough of a season to uh, squeeze into the first round. But, no. uh, yeah, it would, would, would be exciting because Pat Fitzgerald puts out a lot of good pros, productive players, yep. whether it's, you know, Justin Jackson, Austin Carr, Dean Lowry, Tyler Lancaster, really good kind of blue-collar players. And, you know, it seems like Rashawn Slater is going to be another one. I would I would agree with that. Uh, Where did Lincoln go, Tomlinson go to school? Duke. Lincoln Tomlinson was Duke. Yeah, yeah. okay. He was Duke. And I I believe he was. Ah, I'm trying to remember if he was guard if he was a tackle there as well. I'm I'm pretty sure he was a guard in college. I, think I know he had he a played, big Senior Bowl week. He was. Yes, he was. Yeah. I know he was a guard at the Senior Bowl. I was one of the few people to block Danny Shelton that year, and I think that's right. what really uh, ascended his stock. All right, well, let's transition to our last segment here, Ben, and that is Under the Hood, where we're going to pick one position and three factors or traits that matter most to us when we're evaluating uh, that spot. And ironically, we're talking about uh, the conversion of tackle to guard. So I I want to talk about 
the offensive tackle position today. And we're going to focus on like the guys that start at tackle. Um, you know, there's been so much about the delineation between left tackle, right tackle. To me, I, I think you put them all in one bucket. It's all about comfort level with these guys. I'm not worried about who's on the blind side, who's on the front side. What are the traits that you look for at offensive tackle? We'll, let, we'll kind of go back and forth here. I'll let you go first. So the first one is I'm going to try to avoid the physical talk right off the bat because it's such a mental position, Fran. So the football intelligence, the processing, the mental toughness, I think are so important for the offensive line positions. It's a complicated position. There's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of different fronts and a lot of adjustments, not only pre-snap, but post-snap, on the fly. I can't have dummies on the offensive line. I need to have guys that understand the game, understand their responsibility, understand the responsibility of the people adjacent to them as well, because you're really working as a unit. So you need to understand every position. And then you can go even further to just the mental toughness aspect. We could talk for an hour about pain, hurt, injuries. Are you willing to play through stuff? Or do you have that mental kind of acclimate to understand when you're hurt or when you're injured and your practice ability and your ability to play late in games. And I got news for you in the fourth quarter, everybody's hurt, but are you injured? Can you play through it? Can you rally for another four seconds on the next snap? These are all things that really don't have anything to do with your play strength, your physicality, your size, but just between the ears. And I think it's a position that gets overlooked so much. We think about quarterback. We need our quarterback to be a nerd and be the book smart guy and the general, the offensive lineman, you can't survive being a dummy up front. So first and foremost, the mental toughness, the mental acclimate, I think is a huge factor. Yeah, I've, I've had these conversations a lot with, uh, with scouts and, w- and with offensive line coaches as well. And it's like, you know, are there positions where you can get away with it, uh, you know, more or less, you know, without saying like, oh, yeah, like, you know, can you have a dummy all across the line? But I think when you the closer you get to the ball – the more important that football intelligence is. So obviously, if you're a center, uh, if you're a guy that's making the calls and you know setting the protections. You need that guy to be you know upper echelon in terms of his football intelligence. Then you get to guard. You know the things are happening fast. You're dealing with stunts. You're having to read what's going on. And then you get to tackle. And maybe you're put on an island a little bit more. Maybe you've got that ability to just say, hey, you know what? I'm manned up over here. You still have to be a certain level of football. And, uh, uh, you know, ha- have to have that football intelligence. But um, it's interesting to kind of have that conversation with people how does that rank with a tackle versus a guard or a center yeah that's a really good point i did this with the pure thought of tackle you can go even further once you get into center and setting protection setting mic points identifying potential blitz threats there's a lot going on not not only just doing your job and your responsibility but assessing the defensive picture on a down and down basis understanding where the potential threats are these are all things outside of your responsibility you have to do in combination mm. your brain is constantly churning in the in the course of a game so for me i'm going to go over to a physical trade and, and foot quickness is obviously one that uh you know we always talk about right and, that, and that's you've got to be able to protect against the speed rushers uh that and the nfl provides and not necessarily the speed rushers but just the uh, the threat of edge pressure, you know, and it's not just, can you get to the outside is, can you react to an inside move as well? If a guy sells an upfield rush and then bends it back, if you're facing against a, you know, a, a, a stunt and you have to try and react to a loop or last second, do you have that foot quickness, that change of direction, that comfort moving in reverse to be able to mirror those kind of pass rushers? How, how often do we see, you know, unathletic offensive linemen uh, unable to kind of recover and, and make that kind of a play? So for foot quickness, to me, that's one that it's almost a non-negotiable at this point. If you don't have that, you need to have 
outstanding length and just that sheer size where you're just tough to get around. You know, you could, that's the, the thing where I think you can ha- kind of have that sliding scale a little bit is if you're a, a, just a big, long monster of a tackle, you can maybe give up a little bit in terms of that foot quickness just because you've got the length to overcome it. But, uh, you know, I, I think you still need a certain level of that athletic ability. You know, this works out perfectly because I'll quickly move to my point, which is very much hand-in-hand hand with the foot quickness in that you can't just be quick-footed. You must also be balanced. And I think balance is so important for offensive linemen. You're constantly – Moving from your position, whether it's getting vertical displacement, immediately lateral, taking vertical sets and trying to pass protect, you're reacting to things, you're moving very swiftly, very violently in little bursts in order to be able to mirror and react to defenses. And in the same combination, you have to be very patient as well because it's a reactive position for the most part in pass protection. So if you don't, you can move your feet and move your body, but if you aren't able to do it in a balanced manner, you won't be able to survive. And I think having that balance and to be able to play under control and play within your frame, and we see that all the time, guys falling on their face or awkward-footed or having to react to inside moves or stunts or maybe one go, go one direction and immediately swing back the other direction. Fran, it's not always easy to move 330 pounds left and then back right. If you don't have balance in combination with all your ability, your strength, your foot quickness, your length, your mental processing, you're not going to survive a day in the NFL. Well, and that's why, you know, my last one is just your, your ability to recover, you know, and I think that shows up in a number of different ways, but it's, you know, it was pointed out to me by uh, a guy that I really trust in terms of evaluating offensive linemen, and that can show up in a number of different ways, but your balance is absolutely a big part of that, that foot quickness, that twitch, but also the mental, uh, the mental acuity as well, you know, that just that ability, you're going to get beat. It's just like playing corner in the NFL. You're going to get beat by guys on a daily basis when you play offensive line. It's your ability to recover. It's not always going to be pretty, but can you stay upright and be able to find a way to finish the down, keep your quarterback clean, keep your running back clean? That ability to recover just so, so important. You know, an offensive line coach once told me, he said, I need my guys to be under control at all times because there's plenty of maulers out there, but the out of control mauler is the one that gets beat up by the nerd on the playground. If you're not under control in combination with your strength and your length and your aggressiveness, it's all going to be for nothing. You're going to get punched in the nose because you don't have that base and that foot kind of a uh, structure to operate and get your job done. Is there a, is there a trait that separates the elite from the good players at this position in your mind? You know, I really feel passionately about this, Fran. It's another one where you take all the ment or excuse me, all the physical stuff out. There's a lot of big guys in the NFL. There's a lot of guys that look great, have the length, have the strength, have the foot quickness, have the test scores. But if you don't have that competitive edge, Fran, if you don't have that want in combination with all that physical, it's all for nothing. And we've seen guys get drafted in the top 10, look the part, look like they were built in, like I like to say, a lab or a Petri dish, but there was something missing. And, you know, I think about guys like Luke Jokels of the world. He looked like an absolute technician coming out of Texas A&M, but didn't have that competitive edge to fight and survive at tackle in the NFL. And I think if you don't have that edge, or that's what really separates a B player to an A player, that could really change your game and change who you are as a prospect and your ability to be successful in the NFL. Totally agree. And, I, and I'm always looking for guys that have that edge, you know, because the traits are all, you know, the, 
the traits can be there, but if you don't have that competitive edge, those competitive juices, it's tough to, to kind of coach that into a guy. You can light it a little bit. And again, I think also that's another one where you can kind of forgive that a little bit at tackle if he's got all the other traits. If, uh, you know, he's got that ability to be a pure blindside protector, you know, the prototype, left tackle, all that, then, yeah, you're willing to forgive that a little bit. But in terms of this question, in terms of separating, like, who are the guys versus the good? Yeah, I would totally agree with that. You know, in, in a weird way, it kind of goes hand in hand with your last trait and your ability to recover. Because things go wrong on a down-to-down basis yep. for offensive linemen, whether you get your foot stepped on, your hands knocked down, you get beat with a move. You have to keep playing. You have to keep fighting. He might have his hands up on your throat or in your face mask. You don't get to stop. You have to keep fighting and play through it, and your ability to recover, in a lot of sense, is reflective of that competitive edge. And the guys that can keep fighting while getting punched in the nose or finishing to the whistle. And there's a lot of ways to kind of expound upon what physical or excuse me, competitive edge means. But I think in combination with your ability to recover, they kind of go hand in hand. So you talk about like anchor strength, right? And a guy's ability to drop his anchor, hold up against a bull rush. That's pivotal. That is a top three trait for me along the offensive tackle spot. But now when you're saying, okay, what are, what's the guy, what are something, what's something that separates the great from the good? I'm going to build off your competitive edge uh, point and say the guys that have power, you know, and we talk about what's the difference between strength and power. The way that it's been defined to me in the past is a guy that can uh, take on another man's momentum. The guy that's trying to move him against his will and hold his own ground. That's strength. If you are moving somebody else against their will, that's power, and you, that's, that can be tough to be able to find in the, in the college ranks because you don't always see those guys that have that consistent level of power. You know, I've talked about that in the past with Trey Smith. We've talked about it with Penny Sewell, right? Those guys that have – that they're just different. They've got that ability to move people at the point of attack. And I, to me, like, the guys that come out of the league and, they, you know, or come out of uh, the college ranks and they've got the foot quickness, they've got the edge, and then the play strength, that's all well and good. That, that's all good stuff. You need all of that. But the guys that have that power, that functional power to be able to move people as well, that to me is a, is a difference maker in my mind. You know, Fran, I'm going to put you on the spot just for a second here. But when you look at some of the elites at the positions that aren't physically gifted, whether it's maybe Mitchell Schwartz at right tackle for the Chiefs or David Bakhtiari, left tackle for the Packers, it's easy to look at a Tyron Smith and say, well, do what he's doing. He's big. He's burly. He's strong. He looks like an absolute freak show tank. But what is it about Mitchell Schwartz and Bakhtiari that they get their jobs done on a down-to-down, week-to-week basis, yet maybe aren't physically imposing? Well, that's what's tough, man. Is that, and that's to me, like, and that's why, you know, Mitchell Schwartz, it was, he was a, a late-round draft pick, if I remember correctly. And I know Bakhtiari was like a fourth-round pick for Green Bay. You don't see those guys typically go that high. And, and also, to the second point of that, the guys that do go high, that have, you know, maybe they're missing some of these traits, but oh man, they're like, they're technically sound. Not many of them work out, man. I mean, if you look in years past and say like, all right, who are the guys that kind of fit that bill? Uh, whether, whether we're talking tackle guard or center, um, you know, the Eagles are playing a team uh, right now in the Cincinnati Bengals this week that have Billy, they took Billy Price and he was kind of seen that way. You know, oh, he's not an A plus athlete. Uh, he's not a super powerful guy. It's going to move people, but really smart, really technically sound hasn't been able to find his footing. You would say the same thing about Pat Elfline in, in Minnesota. We're talking tackles here, and those guys are interior guys, but I think the point still kind of stands that it's it's so hard to be able to figure out, like, yeah, this guy has it. You know, Mitchell Schwartz has it. David Bakhtiari has it. 
but these other this other bucket of the other 30 guys that look like them and have those traits and maybe not quite as technically refined, but oh, we, we can coach them up. It's tough, man, right? Like, am I, am I crazy about it? It's, that's tough to – to me, like, that's why you see so many of those guys typically fall to the third – you know, the third round, fourth round, fifth round. Um, as hard as a quality starting tackle play is to find, it's tough to delineate the, guy, the guys that don't have the traits and say that's the guy that's going to be able to stick out of this group. I just feel like we fall in love with the the physical traits so often in that first round. And I know some guys lately, like you had mentioned, the Billy Prices and Elf Lines and, you know, uh, some of those interior guys starting to go earlier. But I just feel like the NFL scouts, the NFL game, they just love like the Greg Robinsons of the world. They just can't help themselves with the size, the strength, the length, the weight, you know. I just feel like those players are becoming less and less effective and you're looking more for that. Hey, you know, I, I know Bakhtiari has got a third round grade and he looks like a third round tackle, but this guy could be a 10 year pro in the NFL. You know, he just doesn't maybe fit the sexy mold of some of those first round picks. I mean, I'm just like, just looking at who are the, the starting tackles in the NFL right now that, uh, that kind of fit that mold that you're talking about, right? I mean, you mentioned uh, David Bakhtiari. You mentioned uh, Mitchell Schwartz. I'm just kind of scrolling down the list here. Um, you know, and I'll just, I'm just going to start throwing out starting tackles, all right? So, uh, you know, Ronnie Stanley, obviously, he's a, he's a traits guy. Uh, Dwayne Brown, really athletic player. You have Trent Brown, who's just a house. Uh, Ryan Ramchek. Uh, Deion Dawkins, I think, kind of fits that, right, in terms of what we're talking about. Um, you know, I think you, then you start looking, and it's like, it was right, like the Colton Millers and like Mike McGlinchey's of the world that have been first round picks over the last three, yep. four years that I think are starting to change the mold. I mean, Jake, Jake Matthews was, was that kind of guy, right? Uh, Taylor, Taylor, or not Taylor Lewan, Um, who's the kid in Detroit, uh, Taylor Decker. Yep. Um, you know, I think he would probably fit that mold. Eric Fisher's been, a, he, he, initially people thought he wasn't going to work out, but he, he's been a starting left tackle for how many years now uh, for Kansas city. Um, you know, there are guys that certainly are able to make it. Geo you know, Charles Leno in Chicago would be another guy I'd put in that. It's not like it's just funny. How it's so reflective on where you're drafted too. If Eric yeah. Fisher gets taken where David Bakhtiari is, the team's up in arms with how much of a steal that is in the draft, but because yep. he's the first overall pick, his career is now, you know, ripped to shreds through evaluations and everybody's trying to figure out if the pick was worth it or not. I think the draft slot aesthetics get wrapped into it as well. No question. Now let's try to make the, uh, the transition to this draft. Who were the tackles that you studied that kind of check some of the boxes we're talking about? Because I'll tell you, like we, you know, Penny Sewell checks like all the boxes, you know, in terms of like the traits we're talking and like the, the mental stuff and, you know, everything he's, you've talked about how there are some things off the field. He's got to continue to work through uh, from a maturity standpoint. But um, you know, when you're talking about what we've seen on tape, I mean, he is outstanding after that. Like, you know, the guy that really just kind of catches, you know, catches my eye is Daniel Falalele from Minnesota. He's still young, but I'll tell you what, man, when you talk about like that, that power, uh, the ability to displace people, but also, I mean, his size, his foot quickness, he is, he's really impressive. And when I'm still looking at the tackle spot and I'm like, yeah, like he's tough to move. He's got the anchor strength. The, he's got enough foot quickness. The traits are all there I, to me. Like he's a tough guy to kind of pass up on. I can't imagine that he lasts too, too long in draft weekend. Yeah. Two guys I look right at, you know, the, the guys that are balanced, controlled, rarely on the ground, effective in the run and the pass game, experienced. I'm looking right at Alex Leatherwood and Walker Little for Stanford. Mm. Two guys that I think, I don't know if they're going to be worthy of top 10 selections, but I bet they go in that 10 to 20 range and the teams that they go to are going to be extremely happy and they're going to be those kind of safe picks on the board. Yeah, it's uh, 
It's an interesting class of tackles. I, we've talked about it before. It's not like, um, you know, a group where we expect three or four or five to go in the top 20 or 25, but certainly, you know, one guy we didn't talk about, Sam Cosme from Texas, um, you know, that, that's got some love and, and, you know, has some fans around the NFL. Ben, this was a fun conversation. Thanks so much for joining us once again here on Saturday Scouting. We'll talk to you on Monday with Dan. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Well, joining me this week on Mr. Relevant on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA, Austin Ward, who covers the Ohio State Buckeyes. You can follow him on Twitter at AWardSports. Austin, thanks for joining me, man. Thanks, Rand. I know it's been a, a hectic time, and I, I was supposed <laughs> to come on a few weeks ago, but I think we all have to be flexible and adjust, so I appreciate you uh, uh, giving me that rain check and letting me come back in today. Yeah, absolutely, man. And obviously, look, I, I want—I kind of want to start things off that way. What what were the last few weeks like for you? Because uh, we were trying to get you on as the Big Ten was making the announcement. Um, what have, what has it been like for you, kind of covering the team, covering the story of the Big Ten? Uh, you know, first canceling and then postponing and then coming back, and then also, what's it been like for the team themselves? Like, were they working out? Were the coaches still going, kind of going pedal to the metal? Did they hit the pause button so they didn't uh, peak during this uh, this uh, you know time away? Uh, what has it been like on both sides of it? Uh, I, I can only imagine what it's like for the for the players and the coaches and families that uh, were directly impacted by this because it's been uh, an emotional roller coaster and some of the you know one of the most challenging stories that I've I've had to cover in my career because you don't often hear uh, you know. I mean, a, a full-scale cancellation of the fall and then a commissioner and president's doubling down on that and saying they're not going to revisit the situation. And then you have petitions and lawsuits and, uh, you know, Ohio State coach Ryan Day calling out the league and demanding, you know, answers to play. Like, it seemed like there was something new every single day, um, you know, just a real, you know, real uh, soap opera and drama to play out. It was hard to hard to cover and hard to get to the bottom of it. But, um, you know, and also a lot of, you know, getting to know the health impact and myocarditis, things I never dreamed of in my career. But uh, it, there was a lot of relief, I'll put it this way, when it was over. I think there's still going to be challenges coming for all those people involved and us as well in the media with potentially cancellations and positive tests and all that. But uh, relief that there's going to be football. And, you know, as Ohio State was practicing to, your, to the second part of your question, Fran, they, you know, they haven't been able to be in anything other than uh, you know, helmets and spider pads. Uh, they'll, they'll put on the full pads on September 30th. So, you know, they got another week to go before training camp ramps up. So it was hard for Ohio State and the Buckeyes to keep going. Uh, you know, 12-hour work weeks, you could just go out twice and uh, you could work out and they could have some meetings. But uh, it was basically just, you know, stay as ready as possible until you get the green light. Uh, and that was that was a big challenge for Ryan Day. He's faced a number of them in his career, but you know, these guys didn't know what they were working for when they were having those 12-hour work weeks. They didn't know if they were going to get a chance to play. And it's hard to stay ready if you don't have a goal in mind. But I think you looked at these people that had so much they wanted to accomplish this year. Uh, and this is a national title contender. They were still holding out hope until it was fully extinguished. And unfortunately for them, it didn't happen that way. Yeah, obviously, and one of the players that was kind of like at the forefront of all this, you talked about everything that had gone on over the last few weeks, was certainly the quarterback, Justin Fields. And he is the first quarter, uh, the first player 
that I want to ask you about because yeah. uh, you know we talk about the you know the uh, the presence of, of a quarterback and, you know, just the, the leadership and all, all of those off-field traits. And uh, I feel like the, I said this earlier this week on the show that, um, you know, the last couple of months have, have really kind of painted Justin Fields uh, in a really positive light. And, you know, we talked about that with Trevor Lawrence, and I think you're seeing that with Fields as well with the Buckeyes. And I just kind of want to ask you because, you know, following Justin Fields through high school recruiting, because the recruiting cycle is obviously uh, crazy you know, for him with, you know, commitments and decommitments and finally landing at Georgia, then the departure from Georgia was obviously very eventful and there were, there was a lot that was loaded in with that situation. So I got to ask you, like, what has he been like to cover? Um, what is your sense on him as a kid? Uh, you've been around guys that, you know, have been like the pinnacle of the off field characters like JT Barrett, who I know like urban Meyer and that staff absolutely adored. You've been around a lot of guys who just understood what it took to be a pro. They got it off the field and they've been able to carve out really good NFL careers uh, because of those off-field traits. Do you feel like Justin Fields is one of those guys? How do you view him away from the field in terms of his leadership and his command of the locker room and things of that nature? I think that that was the real, you know, uh, big question for him going into last year because, you know, when he arrived in January, uh, last January after what happened to Georgia and getting – uh, the waiver for instant eligibility, you know, everybody assumed based on his physical gifts that he would win the job. He's one of the most talented uh, athletes and quarterbacks that I've ever been around. And you look at that's, I don't throw that praise around lightly considering you know, Dwayne Haskins was a Heisman finalist the year before Fields arrived. And, you know, there was a, a quarterback room with JT Barrett and Dwayne Haskins and Joe Burrow and, you know, Cardale Jones won a national championship. I could go on down the line, Braxton Miller with his athleticism and, you could tell physically that Justin Fields had pieces of all of those guys. What you didn't know was uh, if you would have the toughness or the leadership or the ability to speak up the way some of those other guys have most like JT bear, as you said, had become the gold standard for that. And I think what you saw last year was that really progressively grew for him, that comfort leading uh, the huddle, even if they don't huddle full time in Ohio state, but you know, leading the, leading the offense um, and having to, get through to guys with the job that needs to be done and motivate others. Uh, but what pushed it over the top was a number of you know, sort of, you know, might be viewed as minor injuries or whatever, but then, you know, that knee sprain that lingered, you know, for six, seven weeks at the end of the year, he never, you know, he was hurt. He was not at full strength and he battled through all of that. And I think that's when he really proved to the teammates, uh, to the rest of the Buckeyes, how important he was, how important it was to him to be there for his teammates, uh, to perform at a high level and not make any excuses, which he never did, uh, even though I know for a fact that he hated that bulky knee brace. Um, you know, and that and you've built from there with the petition and becoming a captain, and it's all been very impressive to watch that maturity develop with him. And, um, you know, he could have easily uh, taken an opt-out route. I think we all know that he'd be a first-round draft pick. He didn't do that. He, we talked to him last Friday he said he never even thought about it he was going he was until until all hope was dead of this season being played he wanted to be with his teammates he wanted to be a captain he he, he wants to win a Heisman Trophy as well he's not a, uh, embarrassed to admit that and he also wants to win a national championship so uh, you add that all up and it's this kid's as as mature as you'll find anywhere yeah, I mean, all of that is is good stuff, and that's going to be music to a lot of people's ears, uh, certainly in the NFL. Um, another guy I want to ask you about is a linebacker, Baron Browning. Uh, obviously played a huge role last year as a backup off the bench. 
I want to ask you how, how he's kind of viewed in the building going into his final season on campus. Are, are there hopes that he's going to step up as one of the leaders of that defense? Obviously, they've lost uh, a couple of guys there, but there are still some guys. I mean, you know, Tough Borland is obviously still there. A couple of the other line, yeah. Pete Werner's still there. Um, but they, they've lost some guys on the front end and on the back end with Chase Young and Akuda and, and Jordan Fuller. How do they view Baron Browning going into this year? Yeah, I think you look at him if you're Ohio State and – you know, Kerry Combs returning as the defensive coordinator. I think they look at him as a real a valuable chess piece. Part of the storyline for Baron Browning's career has been, well, where do you use him best? You know, so many people thought when he arrived, you know, five-star was going to be a projected middle linebacker. Uh, then Ohio State needed him outside. There have been times where he's, you know, gone out before pregame and he's worked with the def- famed defensive line coach Larry Johnson and, and Ohio State has turned him loose as an edge rusher. Um, there's you know, there's something to be said for his versatility. Um, now, there's also part of it when you look at his production, and NFL teams will be having this conversation, no doubt, uh, in February through April next year. And it's not maybe what people would think with someone with his physical tools. And that's just because it's been hard to – he's had to move between positions and learn so many different responsibilities. That I don't think he's ever had a, a true chance to make a position his own and get comfortable, um, you know, there's there's been a kind of a running gag with him about you know where he feels most comfortable inside or outside every spring uh, which was a shortened one for him this year which also won't help but um, it was clear that Ohio State was willing to just find ways to deploy him last year he he was slowed midway through the season kind of another fluke injury um, with a a core muscle strain that really bothered him And, and Ohio State's defense um, is not the same when he's not out there to be sort of that bonus piece in a matchup problem because he can do so many things. Uh, Ohio State absolutely loves him, and there was a real chance that he could have gone pro, and having him back for another year is a big deal. But uh, if you're trying – like for me, trying to figure out where is Baron Browning going to pop up, uh, it's hard to know from week to week, and that's also the challenge that opposing offensive coordinators face. Yeah, it's going to be interesting just with, you know, obviously the departure of Malik Harrison. There's that role that is available there for him to kind of jump in. I'm really intrigued by uh, his skill set. I talked about him earlier this week on the show as well. Um, so right. let's go back, back to the offensive side. We know the big names coming in. We, we've talked about Justin Fields. you got the running backs there with, you know, Master Teague and Trey Sermon, Chris Olave, one of the best receivers in college football, Wyatt Davis back in the fold after initially opting out. He's back on campus. But is there a guy that's under the radar right now nationally that, you know, like a year and a half ago, we didn't know who Jeffrey Akuda was. And he ends up being a top five pick. Like, are there, is there a guy that you feel is ready to make that next step now that, you know, there's a guy on offense you say like, man, like he's going to be a guy everyone's talking about here in a few months. Yeah. I'm kind of, I'm kind of surprised at how little conversation there is about center Josh Myers for the Buckeyes. He, I think uh, in, in Columbus, he's well known. He went into last year. He was a full-time starter. I think he was, I think he was the best center in the Big Ten just from having watched what he did every single week. Um, he, he's, you know, Wyatt Davis gets a lot more attention than him, and some of that's justified. Uh, Wyatt Davis is a generational uh, talent at guard, um, so I don't know if he totally fits the bill of what you're looking for, Fran. But this guy, uh, I wouldn't. After one year, I thought he was good enough to declare for the draft. He didn't want to do that. He's another one that you can lump in that category of could have declared for the draft, would have been drafted, is physically ready to do that, but also wanted to become a captain and play for a national title. I would expect him to uh, soar up draft boards. 
similar to what Pat Elfline and Billy Price and some other centers have done for Ohio State over the last few years. Uh, a guy that I think is really worth watching who's going to put up numbers and, and you know, people in Columbus haven't got to really watch him yet except for when he was scoring for the Oklahoma Sooners a few years ago was Trey Sermon, the running back. I think he's a perfect fit. Uh, he was in a similar system with Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma. Now, um, you know, I've talked to a number of people inside the Woody Hayes Athletic Center about what this guy brings to the table. They, they view him as uh, a perfect weapon for what they do at running back. Um, really excited about his maturity. Uh, he, he left Oklahoma just because they had, you know, real – he was unsure what his role was going to be. It was his last year of eligibility, his graduate transfer. Um, wasn't sure how great of a shot he would get. Um, coming off of a knee injury last year and in Oklahoma playing for the future. Well, Ohio State recruited this guy initially coming out of high school. He had a relationship uh, built in. He visited already uh, Tony Alford, the running, back, running backs coach. who worked with Robbins and Mike Weber and others. Um, they were – I mean, that was one of the most significant offseason pickups, I think, in all of college football. So right up the middle there, I, I continue to always look at Ohio State running backs, and I think that – uh, the center position has become that same uh, marquee group there for the Buckeyes. I'm so glad you brought up Josh Myers. Watching him, I talked about him in our Big Ten preview back in the summer. I, I kind of liked him as much or not, if not more, than uh, than Wyatt Davis. I know there are some people inside the Woody Hayes Athletic Center that, that agree with that. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, the pub that Josh Myers gets over the next few months or hopefully a couple of years uh, for Buckeyes fans if he's able to stay on campus <laughs> another year. Uh, defense, same question. Let's go to the defensive side. Is there a guy on defense that you feel uh, we'll all be talking about here coming up? Yeah, my guess is that um, everybody else in the secondary, that's the easy way to go for the Buckeyes. Um, there's Josh Proctor. He's got a, he's got big shoes to fill with safety with Jordan Fuller uh, moving on. We, we've seen what he's already doing with the Los Angeles uh, Rams and made a couple big plays in their, their win over the Cowboys in week one. Um, I mean, that's – He's replacing a, a, a real pro and a, and a captain uh, that was as respected as, as anybody on the roster for the Buckeyes. He is one of the most physically gifted players at Ohio State. It's a mouthful. Uh, but, you know, I, I've been talking and waiting for two years to see Josh Proctor explode. Uh, he could be in, in line for sort of Malik Hooker type one year deal uh, where you jump to the next level and, and jump into the draft boards. He is, he's a ball hawk. He is a vicious hitter. Um, you know, he, he is an absolute uh, freak back there. I think that's a name that people are – and look, you know, people are going to have to get to know him. If, if he's not ready to be that safety, then the Ohio State secondary is going to have some, you know, some problems. They are a little inexperienced, but you got seven banks and Cameron Brown that are right there ready to step in uh, alongside Sean Wade at corner. Um, seven banks in particular, this guy, he looked completely different when we got glimpses of him coming off his offseason, um, you know, the, the cornerback streak of first-round draft picks for the Buckeyes is not going to end. Uh, those guys can add their name to it along with Sean Wade. We'll see what happens with their development this year. But, you know, you, you always start there. And then Tyreek Smith, uh, defensive end, is another guy who – he was supposed to be the one to take the torch from, from Chase Young. We'll see if he can. He's been uh, plagued by injuries a little bit. Uh, but he's another, another five-star guy, another huge upside – defensive end and, and Larry Johnson has proven time and time again that he knows how to get the most out of those guys. 
Awesome. You're making me feel good about my, uh, my pre- big 10 preview, man. I, Josh Proctor was my sleeper for the big 10 coming into the year. I had heard that same kind of buzz a couple of years ago about, uh, he right. could, he could be Malik Cooker. He could be Malik Cooker. So, uh, glad to hear you bring his name up first. Austin, thanks so much, man, for joining us once again here on the journey to the draft podcast driven by AAA. Uh, stay healthy, stay safe. And we'll hopefully uh, talk to you again soon here coming up. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Before we keep going with this episode, I want to just take a quick moment to remind you guys that we are just under two months away from Election Day on November 3rd. And did you guys know that four years ago in the last election, 100 million eligible voters did not participate? That That is insane to me. That is a crazy high number. It does not matter who you support, but that number is entirely too high. So I've got some questions for you. Number one, are you registered to vote? Number two, Do you know where you vote in your district and have you checked to see if you can vote early? Do you know what time your polling place opens? Voting matters, not just for this presidential election, but for your local and state elections as well. Please, it's all of our civic duty to make sure that our voices are heard. Get out and vote on November 3rd. Text EAGLES, E-A-G-L-E-S, to 26797 to register to vote. Now it's time for Pick 6. All right, back for another edition of Pick 6 here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA, our good friend Ross Tucker. Ross, welcome back to the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I look forward to this every week, even though I then notice on Saturday that it didn't go real well for me last week. Not going <laughs> to lie. Everyone, I was like, oh, no, I'm getting crushed by Fran, I think. But, you know, it still is fun, though, because it makes it some – I'm watching Notre Dame, South Florida. I'm watching these games, you know, Miami, Louisville, and trying to have the outcome I predict to happen. So it definitely makes it more entertaining and more interesting. Plus this week we get the SEC back, which is great. Yeah, no question. We've got some good games to talk about here today. Just a quick refresher. Uh, you went 2-4 and four last week. That brought your record to 4-8. and eight. I went 4-2. and two. That brought my record to 7-5. and five. So only, only a three-game swing right now. It's still uh, – anybody's uh, anybody's game here as we move forward into the third week of doing this um let's get let's get into our first matchup here and the first one's going to be a straight up pick the winner ross and this is going to be tennessee south carolina we've got the opener for both teams you said it sec back on the field this weekend the vols blew the doors off south carolina last week or last year it was 41 21 but you've got a new offensive coordinator for south carolina mike bobo they've made some changes there but still you lose a top pick in Javon Kinlaw. You lose Brian Edwards. You lose DJ Wanham, some other key players on the defensive front seven. They lose their starting center. Who do you like here and why? So I like Tennessee. Uh, you already named several of the reasons why. Now, I think we all know that with everything that happened and this being the opener, funny things can happen. And you really don't even know in this era which guys – might be out or in for COVID-related reasons. Seems like, especially in college football, there will be special teams miscues. Uh, But I'm going to go with Tennessee. They've got some absolute horses up front. I could watch Trey Smith play all day, every day. He is such a bully. Uh, Emory Hunt on the College Draft podcast this week said, He's a check the birth certificate guy, which I thought was <laughs> awesome. And I, we were laughing because when he was a freshman, he was killing dudes. Yeah. I mean, he was killing kids as a freshman. So, and the Gamecocks, Brian Edwards, we saw what he did for the Raiders. Kinlaw, 
Plus, they have a new quarterback. They, this other kid beat out Holinsky, so they got to break in a new quarterback. I'll take Tennessee. Wouldn't be surprised if it's a similar score to last year. Yeah, I'm actually going to take the Vols, too. And it's just – you look at Tennessee. It was an ugly start to last year. Remember, they had a couple losses. I think they lost to an FCS team. Um, they definitely lost to a group of five team. It was like a one-in-four start or something like – it was a really ugly start to the season. But then they came out at the end of the year and really, really crushed it down the stretch. And one of those games was the South Carolina game. I feel like Tennessee's just got a lot of momentum, um, despite the fact that they've gotten some up-and-down quarterback play uh, over the last couple of years with Jared Garantano. But uh, I think when you look at the Vols, the defense is starting to come together. Uh, I will also take Tennessee. Trey Smith is also a beast. He is awesome. He's one of my favorite players uh, in the conference, one of my favorite players in this draft. Uh, I said it during our SEC preview. He's my favorite SEC senior on the offensive side of the ball. I just feel like this guy is just tailor-made for the NFL. There are a lot of teams that can really use a Trey Smith. Um, so, yeah, whole, wholeheartedly agree here. I will take the Vols in this game as well. All right, next one. We're going to stay in the SEC. Who has more receiving yards for the Crimson Tide in their opener against Missouri? Devontae Smith, the senior receiver, or Jalen Waddle? Now, these guys were kind of split down the middle. I went and did a little bit of research for us and said, like, all right, uh, you know, who outdueled the other when it came to head-to-head last year? Smith outgained him in one or two extra games, if I remember correctly. It was pretty split, though. Smith, more of the Jerry Judy kind of crafty possession type. Waddle, more of that Henry Ruggs big play type. Who, in your mind, gets more yards in the opener? I'm going to go with Jalen Waddle, and you can go either way. I think uh, Devontae Smith is the more consistent performer. It does not surprise me that he outgained Waddle um, by a game or two last year, but I just feel like Waddle is absolutely electric with the ball in his hands. I mean, his play speed is ridiculous, and I bet you Alabama spent all this off time this offseason, figuring out ways to get the ball to Jalen Waddle so he can create big plays in space. So I'm going to roll the dice kind of like a best ball. I'm going to say Jalen Waddle is the guy. By the way, how do you go from having Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs to then the next year having Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle still? I mean, I mean, we've how, never seen a team with receiving core like this. I mean, how about having them all at the same time? Like, it's just, like, ridiculous. Uh, that's the thing with Jalen Waddle is, like, yeah, even though Devontae Smith outgained him on a, on a couple of games last year, Waddle was essentially, like, he was a, he was a role player for them. He, he was not a starter, um, you know, came on the field in, in certain packages, but uh, Devontae Smith was a starter for that offense. I'm actually going to go Devontae Smith here, and I feel like we did we did something similar earlier this year, a couple weeks ago, with um, Daz Newsom and Deami Brown for UNC, uh, and I ended up going with more of like the possession guy uh, in in Daz Newsom that came back to bite me because we both actually lost that one. But I, I'm going to take uh, I'm going to take Devontae or Devontae Smith here just because um, you know you look at his ability as a route runner. Uh, I think he's a really crafty player. I'm excited to see him with another year because I, I feel like uh, this kid's got a skill set that works in the NFL. But he's he's a weird player, Ross, because like he's he's really smart. He's rail thin, so he's not like uh, he. But he plays strong, so he plays bigger than he size. His size. It sounds like he only times in like the four fives, like in the forty. He's not going to like test super well, but he plays faster than that. So you're talking about a player who plays bigger than he than he looks. He runs faster than he times. He's just a crafty player. He's just a gamer. I, I, I think Devontae Smith is, is an intriguing option. I don't know that he's going to be a, you know, quote-unquote number one guy in the NFL, but I think he'll be a nice player uh, for a long, long time. Um, all right, let's go to the third one here. 
Baylor versus Kansas. All right, now, uh, this one got a little bit touchy. I almost had to change this last minute because Puka Williams, the star running back for the Jayhawks, uh, in uh, less miles terms, he got a little nicked up. Uh, so he's, but he's still, I mean, it sounds like he's going to be a go for this game. This is the opener for Baylor. What is the bigger number? Baylor's margin of victory or the total offensive touches by Puka Williams? Now, Puka Williams, when they lost to Coastal Carolina, uh, you know, earlier this year, Kansas, he had 12 touches in that game. When these two teams played last fall, he had 25 touches in the last game of the, of the regular season last year. So you kind of get the realm of where we're at. He had 12 touches in the loss to Coastal Carolina, 25 last year. What is the bigger number? Puka's touches on offense, not including special teams, offensive touches, or the margin of victory in favor of Baylor? Definitely margin of victory in favor of Baylor. Um, and I, I felt this way before Puka Williams was a little bit banged up. He's going to get the rock a lot regardless. Um, I know some people think he's the best running back in the Big 12, which says a lot. But this Baylor team is a lot better than the Coastal Carolina team that beat Kansas. And that was no fluke. Like Coastal Carolina, they beat Kansas fair and square. Now you got to deal with Baylor. And I know Matt Rule's not there anymore, but they still have some dudes at Baylor. I think Baylor rolls the Jayhawks by probably 20 to 30. And I'm not sure Puka Williams gets there, especially since they're going to be coming from behind the whole time. I, I think it's going to be very tight. I, I In terms, not that the game will be tight, but I think that this decision is going to be very, very tight. Because uh, if, if Williams is a full go, I do feel like hey, this is a guy that can get 20-plus touches. They want to try and get the, the, the ball into their best player's hands. They do creative things with him every single time he steps on the field, especially in the passing game. So, you know, if they're playing from behind, would not shock me if they feature him out of the backfield, try and do some things with him vertically, because uh, they definitely did that almost every single game I watched of them last year. But I just feel like, you know, going off what you said, I mean, we've only seen Kansas one time. They lose to Coastal Carolina. It's tough to have a lot of faith that they'd be able to close the gap against Baylor, even though they lost a majority of the coaching staff. They lost some good players on defense. They lost their number one receiver in Mims. They've got some skill talent going back. Some of those receivers, uh, a couple of the backs are returning. They've got some players. But, um, you know, I, to me, uh, this one could be a little bit closer than people think, but I'm still going to take the, the Baylor margin of victory. So, all right, so we're, we're on the same side on two of these first three. Let's see how the last three go. Miami versus Florida State. What is the bigger number? Similar, similar question here. Miami's margin of victory. We got to see uh, Miami um, really put the, blow the doors off Louisville. I mean, that, that game was never really close. Maybe, you know, at some point in the second quarter. Um, but I was glad that, uh, you know, for my sake in this game, that he was able to come away or they were able to come away with a victory. Or total catches combined. For Brevin Jordan, the tight end from Miami, who got my game ball on the show here earlier this week, or Florida State wide receiver Tamarian Terry, the star receiver for the Seminoles. So you take the total catches from Brevin Jordan, you add them up to the total catches of Tamarian Terry. What is the bigger number? Those guys' total catches or the Hurricanes' margin of victory? Ross, give us your pick here. You know, I'm going to go margin of victory for the Hurricanes. Um, I sold them short last week. Against Louisville, I said I thought Malik Cunningham and the Cardinals would get it done. They didn't. I thought Miami was overrated. They're absolutely not. De'Eric King is electric. Those tight ends, both Brevin Jordan and Mallory, are studs. 
watching Miami's defense fly around, you know, even without, um, you know, Rousseau, who opted out, Roche, as well as Jalen Phillips, who I remember from the Army Bowl. Oh, yeah. Total studs, man. I mean, they, they are good. I think I think Miami wins by double digits. I'm not sure Brevin Jordan and Terry get there in terms of uh, catches. Yeah, to me, like, if – it's tough, man, because this is a, such a rivalry – and Miami has kind of owned it over the last couple of years. I remember when this game, this used to be one of my favorite games to watch every year, like just because of the bragging rights involved and uh, the stakes in the ACC. But it just hasn't been that way for the last couple of years. You throw in that Mike Norvell in his first year, they have that tough loss against Georgia Tech, which neither of us uh, kind of predicted here in this segment. We both thought Florida State would come away with the win. He's out for this game. You know, Mike Norvell's not going to travel because he tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, obviously, best wishes to him and, and his health. Uh, hopefully, he can get back on the sideline soon. Uh, yeah, to me, I just think that there's too much going in favor of Miami. So, you know, as productive as I think Brevin Jordan and Tamarian Terry can be in this game, and I feel like they are going to feed Terry, uh, I think he's going to be a very productive player for them this season. You know, Mike Norvell in that scheme almost always has a lot of production for, you know, the quote-unquote number one receiver. I just feel like, you know, that Miami is going to roll in this one. I'm also going to side with you here. I'm going to take Miami. Straight pick them. Auburn, Kentucky, our fifth game here. Auburn's got the linebacker, Kenny Britt. Uh, obviously, they lost a lot on that defensive front seven. But Kenny Britt comes back. Uh, Big Cat Bryant at defensive end. He is back. You've got some playmakers on offense. You've got the sophomore quarterback in Bo Nix, who kind of uh, you know shocked a lot of people last year with a lot of firepower at the receiver position with Seth Williams and Anthony Schwartz. Kentucky's got some prospects, though, Ross. So all three levels of the defense, once again, they've got guys that uh, are going to shock some people. And, you know, and offensively, you know, they've got that offensive line. They'll get into a slugfest. Straight pick them, though. Who do you like, Auburn or Kentucky? I like Auburn. Um, Kentucky's done a really nice job the last few years. They've produced a lot of NFL defenders, Benny Snell. I mean, they, they deserve a lot of credit. They're no longer a laughing stock in the SEC at all. But I'm not going against – I mean, Auburn recruits at a higher level than Kentucky. They just do. They're still getting better players. I know Kentucky has prospects on all three levels of the defense, but Auburn always has dudes on the D-line. And I was really impressed by Bo Nix last year. Now he's back with the season under his belt. I will take Auburn to get it done in the SEC opener. Dude, this is a this is a tough one, man. Because dude, Kentucky has every year of the last couple of years. Like, remember they they went on the road and they beat Florida, you know, in the swamp. Uh, they went and they beat uh, Texas A and M. They've given a really good fight to some good teams over the last couple of years as well. Even when they didn't come out with a victory, I think I'm gonna have to agree with you though. I'm gonna I think I'm gonna play it safe on this one because Auburn. Um, you know, I agree. They, there's just too much firepower. Uh, coming out in week one. I feel like, you know, that's a team that usually comes out ready early. You know, usually their tough losses will come, uh, you know, in the, in the third part of the season. Uh, to me, I'm going to look at, uh, at Auburn as coming out and, and starting the season with a victory. So we've, we've been on the same side here for a handful of these. Let's go for our last one. Over under six and a half catches for Oklahoma State wide receiver Tylen Wallace, who Dane talked about, Dane Brooke talked about earlier this week uh, in our draft buzz segment. Had four catches last week. Got the game ball for Dane. Over under six and a half catches against West West Virginia. Tyler Wallace coming off the injury. Uh, what are your thoughts here? You know, I, I'm going to say over uh, for Wallace because I think they're going to have to throw the rock to beat West Virginia. 
I don't think they're going to be able to run all over them. This isn't Tulsa. They're going to have to throw it. And I think Wallace would have to get seven catches for them to win. He is the guy for Oklahoma State. So I'll go over. So this one was an interesting one because, um, you know, he, he had four catches last week, and that was his debut coming off the injury. But you go back to last year. How many times did he get over six and a half catches? Only four times. He only did, he only did it four times last year. Uh, I, I'm actually going to take the under here. I, I'm going to say that, um, you know, in this game and, and West Virginia, look, they're in year two uh, with that new coaching staff. And I know that the, the thought is that those guys are on the upswing. Um, but I, I'm going to look at Oklahoma State. They're gonna, they've got injuries at quarterback. What's that going to look like here for this week? Uh, I'm actually going to take the under on Tylen Wallace. Not that he won't have an impact, uh, but I'm going to say that in this game, maybe he ends up with uh, like five for 70 and a touch, and I'll try and take the under here and see if I can uh, sneak out a win. So, Ross, this was fun, man. We'll, uh, we'll see uh, who comes out on top. Thanks for joining us once again here on Pick 6. We'll talk to you next week on the Journey to the Draft podcast. It always is, man. Let's do it. Hope you guys enjoyed another edition of the Journey to the Draft podcast here uh, with Ross Tucker, Austin Ward, Ben Fennell. Great stuff from all those guys. Can't wait to see what we've got here this weekend in college football. Dane Brugler, Ben Fennell, and I will be back to break it all down early next week right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast driven by AAA.